All right. If you actually look at your bulletin, I didn't know this was going to be the picture on the front. I really like it because it's right there out of Proverbs. It really is talking about this idea that people who lack vision will perish, which is pretty daunting out of Proverbs 29, 16. And it, I've read this verse many times, and I've heard it many times. I've read, man, I've, I've been part of planning committees who are like, we got to sit down and plan this thing because if we don't have vision, we're going to perish. And there's truth to this. Right? There is truth to that verse to be very practical, to be very like, hey, let's get a whiteboard. Let's plan this. <laughs> we got it. But there's actually something more to this verse that I didn't realize until I dug a little bit deeper into this. And so what I would like to do is I want to I take this verse, I want to take it in its context, what it can mean, what it does mean, uh, what will it mean to us personally. And then I want to look throughout scripture as to what happens to people who lack vision and what, what markers are there on the people who lack vision. And that is so cool. And lack vision. And, and how is it important to us and, and kind of compare it, not just to our day and age, but to what happens to us personally. Because we need vision, we need a plan, and, and if not, we're, we're in danger of this perishing, whatever that means, which we'll define through scripture. But we also want to define what scripture actually says about um, this concept of vision. So Heavenly Father, again, would you open our hearts, move within us for a fresh revelation, and God, give us that point of obedience in which we are to respond to you. In Jesus' name. So some, some verses, it's a really interesting word there that says that my people who lack vision will perish. And some will say who lack knowledge will perish. And in the Hebrew word, it's actually this word that is more about lacking revelation will perish. It's a little bit different because vision often to us is something we cast forward, right? We have, we have vision and strategy meetings where we get the whiteboard out and we plan. And this is, this is a very common verse done in, in kind of evangelical circles and church planters and, and missions. And that's, that's good to sit down and say, we're going to cast vision. But vision is first and foremost a matter of revelation. If you want to do something very, I don't want to say very good, but if you really want to be in the will of God, it's going to start in your time with him. It's not just going to come from a good idea that you throw out there. It's not going to just come from a purely business-minded vision strategy. Good things can come from this. I heard a quote once that says, the road to hell is full of good intentions. And when I heard that, it really sobered me. I was like, man, how many good intentions have I endeavored to that were good, that seemed kingdom-minded, but didn't come from the heart of the Father? There were just something that I and a planning committee kind of came up with and, and spirit was really somewhere else because I just took it and ran with it. Now I've got myself into a lot of trouble with this. But that vision, that revelation is a critical piece to how we cast vision and how we move into the will of God. Now how many of you either currently in the past or maybe in the future will think that you're going to find yourself in a position where you're like, I really wish I knew the will of God for my life. Can we just raise our hands and be honest? And if you, you know, if you know it, right? I think we all, if we just be real about people who walk in the faith, we come to that moment, we're like, wow, I read in scripture and, and fire and smoke and prophetic dreams happen to these guys, but what, what's the will or the vision that God has for my life? 
if we can just be honest about this, I think a majority of Christians struggle with this. That we have no idea what we are doing, what we should be doing. We're burdened by uh, all the things of this earth. And I, another plug, honestly, for through the night stuff. So shameless plug. It's a hashtag. There's something about just being in the presence of God. If, if the idea of 12 hours of worship is like the most nauseating thing to you because you don't like to sing, go anyway and bring a journal. Because honestly, some of the most, the greatest times of clarity that I've ever had was just sitting at a through the night event and basking in the spirit and listening to people worship. And I can trust a little bit more that what I'm writing is not just myself because I'm in a place of meditation and prayer. It will force you to just be in that place where the spirit is to receive that revelation, to receive that vision. This is why quiet time is important. This is why it says go to your prayer closet and pray. Jesus gets away. Like, the thing about it, Jesus gets away is that he woke early in the morning and went to the mountainside, this is out of Matthew, and he spent time there, and it says he was there in the evening. Now, I don't know if that means he was there all day or he went there again in the evening. I don't know. But I wouldn't put it past Jesus to be there all day, right? I think sometimes we just need, like, a mountaintop time. We say, Jesus, I just want to be with you. I don't know if he prayed and worshiped. He, maybe he took a, a tablet and wrote in his man journal. I don't know. Point being, it's a really good thing to do. And if, if in the hurry of your life, there is a bunch of anxiety about your will of God, just slow down. Just slow down. Because the rest of that verse, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. That's a version of it out of ESV. It says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. There's this duality, this almost uh, tension between part A of this verse and part B, where it says those who cast off restraint are those um, who don't have revelation or vision perish, but those who obey the law are blessed or happy. So there's something about coming into the presence of God and walking in obedience that actually brings about really a lacking of perishing. <laughs> and now if you would say, because this, this is me, maybe I'll just say it, I find that when I am unclear about the will of God for my life, I feel like I am wasting away. I feel like I'm perishing, right? I, I feel like, man, what am I doing with my life? What, what is going on? Where am I going? What should I be doing? Woe is me, blah, blah, blah. And God the whole time is saying, like, if you would just come and seek fresh revelation from me, you'd be a lot less depressed, dude. Right? Now, I, I, it's really wonderful. Those who track with me and know me, um, I'm like new, newly married. It's my beautiful wife back there, um, which I've been really excited. Like, this is the first time I get to preach and pick on my wife. So, because all the people I admire get to do it. Now I can admire myself. But you know what? There, there, there are things I, I see her every morning. She, she gets up and she, like, I would say ungodly hour of the morning and, and goes and spends time with the Lord. And her journal is full of just, of just prayers and time with, with God. And, like, there's a, and, then, and then I'm wondering why I'm wasting away. I'm like, <laughs> if I, maybe I should just get up too. But it's possible. There's also a danger. Like I said, we're going to kind of overlay this with some other scriptures to see what happens when 
large amounts of people turn away from revelation and what markers there are. So it's kind of like a kind of like I want to strike some fear into you, but I want to give some sobering reality of the day we're in and also kind of just balance it with points of obedience. There's a charge against Israel in Hosea chapter 4. It says, "Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land." There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of, the, because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea are swept away. But let no one bring a charge. Let no one accuse another. For your people are like those who bring charge against a priest. You stumble day and night, and the prophets stumble with you. So I will destroy your mother. My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. There's a lot of sobering things in there that honestly, I can't remember where I've heard it, but you don't need to be a prophet to understand what's going on in our day and age. You just need to read the Old Testament. (laughs) Like that's really sobering because God is consistent with his character. And so when you see a people who turn away from God, who lack vision or don't seek revelation, there are markers that happen to people who do that. And this was it, bloodshed after bloodshed. Listen to even what it happens to the earth. The birds and the fish and all these things perish. Now, I'm not a doomsday series. So I don't want you to hear this, but you can just get onto any social media feed and see about how honeybees are dying and the rhinos are extinct and all sorts of things. Hello? we got to start connecting some dots. That there's a people who lack vision. Romans 1.28, if you want to bring it into the New Testament, it goes on. It says, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so they do what they ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy, although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death. They do not continue, they do not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. It's the same concept of lacking off, that getting rid of continual feeling and revelation from God will lead to a type of people. This is not God, it says God turned them over. This is not God punishing. This is not God prescribing. This is God describing a people. Do you hear the difference? A lot of people out there will say, well, God is cursing us, and and there are curses, blessings, and curses. That's all about boundaries of God's ways, which we're going to get to. But vision is a matter of that revelation and obedience that keeps us away from being a people who turn from that. It's really interesting that others in the scripture, it says that there'll be false prophets that will even convince the elect if it were possible. So there's a whole spectrum of deception that is possible. Now, I understand this sounds very awful. And it is. I think Pastor Jeff said once before, and I I love it, he goes, sometimes I wish scripture just wouldn't say it the way it does. (laughs) Right? There are some things in scripture that I just wish weren't there. This is one of those sobering ones where it's like if we could just look at scripture and look at a people who are casting off revelation of God, we should not be mystified. And what's even more is 2 Timothy 3, 
goes on to this. Paul's writing to Timothy, and this is the best part. I think it's one of the greatest things in Scripture, is that Scripture tells us what's going to happen. <laughs> right? We, we know the end. We know the victory. But here it says, uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Okay? So he's already giving some insight. He's saying, hey, readers of this book, do not be alarmed. I'm about to describe you the type of people that you're going to work with and minister to. That's cool. It says, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. They are a kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of truth. That's, that's key. Just as Janus and, and John Brace opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds. I'm not saying that anyone in this place is this, and I'm not saying someone in here is super close. <laughs> right? But we, but we need to understand our times, and you need to understand your call. Because these are the people you're going to serve. And man, they sound like a rowdy bunch, right? I mean, take the Wild West and just be an old-timey preacher. That's kind of what you're up against. But we should take courage because we know that these are the people. Now, for us, for those who follow the way, who are in Christ, part of your will is going to be reaching these people. You may not work directly with them. You, some people are called to just like on a scale of discipleship, if like zero is like not yet to Christ and, and one starts their spiritual walk and 10 is, you know, raptured, right? Like fullness of Christ. Um, some people are called to take like someone from two to three or two to five. You're kind of a mid-level discipler, right? That's not how good you are, but you, that's your calling is to take people along this journey. Some people are called to really get those negative threes to zero, <laughs> And if that's you, if you feel called to that, get a prayer network. Get a prayer network because it's tough work. It's, it's, you know, that's what I did in public schools. Right? You, teaching high schoolers is taking people from negative something to, to the foot of Jesus, and it's tough work. But it's so fun. Anyway, I digress. Those are markers of people who have thrown off restraints and have thrown off revelation. So it's all the more important for those who follow the Lord to stand counter to that, to really sit at the foot of Jesus and get that fresh revelation. This sounds like the most simple message. It's really just me telling you and and myself, because I've been learning this, is that we need to prioritize positioning ourselves for continual revelation from Jesus. And it's in that place that that promise, it says, don't seek all these things, right? Jesus talks about not seeking out of all the things of the earth. If you just keep your eyes fixed on the kingdom, he's gonna provide it for you. Your will and your purpose and the fulfillment of your happiness is no different. And and vision can can come to you by by a lot of people, right? Uh, sometimes it comes from prophetic prayer. Sometimes it comes from your time alone with God. Sometimes it's a dream or a vision. Um, I can tell you the times I've tested the Lord and he gave dream and vision, but not the way I wanted it. And it's fun, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, 
do it that way. It's a very Gideon approach and leads you into a wilderness, but you'll be tested. And what happens in wilderness times in our lives? It focuses your eyes on vision. It focuses on that prophetic revelation. It creates a whole new set of need for Jesus. I read those lists so that we can understand that if we can read them in scripture and we can see them in our earth, it kind of frames the need for us to keep our eyes focused, for us to prioritize times with Jesus and, and community and all sorts of, of wonderful things that happen when we receive that vision. And I, I'm gonna just share honestly about some things out of my life because the context of community can really, really help you shape up vision. It's a, one of those wonderful things. So here goes the wonderful life story and embarrassment of, of probably Caroline and I. Um, I'm, I'm in this place where like I have received vision from God for my life, right? And we've all done this. We get fresh revelation. But then when you're married, there's this, this conversation of what's the call for our family? Now, I have put myself in this position that says, Lord, you need to speak so clearly to my wife and I'm not gonna push my vision on her. That way, when things go wrong, she can blame you and not me. <laughs> right, that's really, that, that was my, that's my logic, Right? <laughs> which is good logic because I need her to be upset at God and not me. We need to both be convicted of things. But I erred so much on that way that I stopped seeking vision or revelation for our walk together. I took my prophetic revelation and then put it on the shelf in passivity in our marriage. And what happened is that none of us then could make a decision because I was afraid to make a decision that would ruin her life and she couldn't make a decision because she didn't know what I was thinking or what the Lord was talking to me about, right? That's my, that's my job as leader. And there was this beautiful moment. We're sitting on our countertops in the kitchen because it's one of our favorite spots to sit and uh, just talking. And I don't know if it was the spirit of the Lord came upon her and she goes, look, Greg, um, you're not leading <laughs> and I can't make decisions in the absence of your vision, essentially is what she said to me. She said, I can't, I can't make a decision because of your indecision. And you need to start leading so we can actually go somewhere in Revelation. That's how I translated it in my heart. And it was a sobering moment where all of a sudden the reality of my new role as husband and father actually needed to start not with just what I was doing or good ideas, really needed to start alone with God and not be putting it on someone else to make the decisions for me. And say, God, this is huge. I've been so afraid of ruining someone's life, but God, you have the answers and the revelation for us. I need fresh vision so we can both be happy in the service of God. And, and that's changed things. I'm not there yet. This probably just happened like a week and a half ago. But dang, it's a pressure cooker. For all those who said, when you get married, it'll make sense, you're right. And it hurts. And it's tough and it's hard. But God delights in imparting vision to you. And it's changed things in our, in our relationship, I'd say. Like I said, we're still working through it and I'm still a passive wuss, but that's okay. But the Lord will deal with me. But I'm learning that, that vision is critical. And what's happened is the church has not had fresh vision revelation from God 
And in the same way that we couldn't make decisions and that Caroline was suffering because of my indecision of leadership is that the church is supposed to lead culture. And I'm not sure we've been positioned all the time with fresh revelation. I love how Pastor Jeff had been saying we were talking about sexuality where we've been pointing the finger at people who have gone astray from God and then when they come to us, right, we, we offer them nothing. It's like this duality where we're not talking about the subject that they need help in and when they come to get help, we, we, we blame them. <laughs> we make them feel guilty and all sort of stuff. It's just, why would they come? But we need, we need to have an understanding of how we're gonna reach people with a fresh vision. That could be in your household. Maybe there's just something in your house that you need fresh revelation for. Maybe you're a leader in the workplace that you need fresh revelation for. Um, it, it's, it's endless. But it starts with that position of, of really saying, God, I need fresh vision. I just need revelation, not just what my will is, what my design is, but God, I just wanna know and see you more. Because that's where will comes from. Now, some um, envision in Revelation, so this is like a little disconnected. I hope it's making sense and following. Um, this is what it's like in my brain all the time, so i do not sure I'm doing the best job communicating it. But there, there is a, a season coming that we, we've heard in these passages that vision is going to be confused with false prophecy. This is where we have to know the voice of Jesus, is what I'm getting to, is that in this day and age, we've got to be so clear in who we are with Jesus and his voice, because there is going to be a time in which false prophets are going to come, and it's going to be really confusing. They're already here, right? They're out there. Jesus talks about this. Matthew 24, 24, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. It's typically the red ink in your Bible if you're looking for that. It's Jesus speaking. He's saying, I just want to warn you. This is why you need to know my voice. Know who I am. And understand this. These false prophets and false messiahs are going to do wondrous things. If you want to see precedent for that, just read Exodus. Read the story of Moses and his encounter with the prophets with Pharaoh. They did amazing things. So there are two kingdoms. Jesus goes on to say that it's, it's kind of foolish. The foolish man builds on the sand. Do you understand that that verse is in the context of prophecy? If you read it in its context, the two teaching points before that are talking about prophecy and prophetic vision and revelation. And so when we take, I mean, honestly, I look at it this way, and I heard this from a, uh, a preacher, I can't remember his name, but he, he's talking, he goes, he goes, well, the rock is the truth. The fullness of, of revelation of who God is is the rock, and we build on that. Now, sand is particles of rock, right? It's, it's pieces of truth. And we have a Christianity that's really built around pet peeves. We kind of pick the verses to defend our positions because something irritates us. That's pieces of truth. That's not full vision. That's not full revelation. When we have that full vision, we'll stand on the rock and our house will be approved. So prophecy, revelation, they're similar, different. They operate differently kind of as gift sets. But point being is that when we operate in our own lives with fresh vision and revelation, continual vision, revelation from God, we will not be on the sand. We're not gonna be a people turned away. We're not gonna be elect deceived. We're gonna stand firm. Now for me, I just wanna give you some, some, some points 
This is going to be like a short message. Like, I'm almost done. This is really just kind of like, I got sobered up the last couple, I should say last month. It's called being married. I've been married one month, and it's been sobering. <laughs> In all the right ways, okay? And I, it's fun being up here and seeing, from like, familiar groans from people I trust. Like, yeah, get yours. Um, <laughs> no, no one has that attitude, but it's wonderful. But I want to share some, some things unapologetically um, about vision, revelation, and things that I do and that I have been doing probably since just this year, honestly. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and, and there's been ups and downs, and, and I'm in this pressure cooker of new husband and father, and, and I've been learning a lot. And if I didn't have sort of these altar points where God gave me revelation of who he was, I'm not sure I would be willing or able to survive moving forward. Because not only do they provide trajectory forward for us, vision and revelation, it also allows us to look back and say, hmm, I remember when you spoke that. I remember when I responded in obedience, and I remember how you showed up. Or I remember when you spoke that, and I remember when I didn't listen. And then I remembered how you redeemed me. <laughs> right? It goes both ways. We can look back. In fact, Scripture is full of that, right? I think there's a lot of, I don't know if there's more success stories or mistakes in Scripture. Realistically, there's probably more altar points of disobedience than ones of obedience, right? And we learn from it. Now, these are things, uh, this church is um, kind of a messenger-affiliated church. And we had the messenger conference a while back, a month, month ago now, two months ago, April. When was it? April. Um, and what I loved about that presence, I've been discipled and raised up in messenger churches and messenger people and, and been discipled through this. But this last summit meeting was unapologetically just about who they were. We just said, hey, we're messenger and we've walked a lot and we were an inner, kind of an interdenominational people walking in unity, right? Lots of different faith expressions. And I don't mean like Buddhism, stuff like this. I just mean like Baptist, Anglican, non-denominational, walking in unity together in a way that like I have never seen before. It's so cool. And so there's something about that atmosphere. They've had vision and press into it that has helped me actually to return to this place of a vision and revelation as kind of my bedrock. Now, this is not a magical formula, but they have five key distinctives that I've been putting as like my sieve, like my, my, like my the lens through everything that goes through these days for vision, is going through these five irreducible things out of Messenger. And I just want to share them with you because it's part of our family. And I don't think we very clearly ever just said, hey, this is like who the leadership team, like Pastor Jeff, Dinah, um, the, the Stewarts, and, and Stephanie, and myself, like we're all ordained like Messenger people. And we've got, all, we have so many Messenger people here actually. Um, it's, it's unreal. And so I think we could just explain kind of unapologetically where we stand and how it's actually applying to me right now through vision. What, and, and so I'm going to name the five kind of irreducibles, put them through this lens of, of vision, and then kind of dissect them a little bit and then we're done. Uh, first one is intimacy with God, a relevant gospel, the radical middle, the ways of God, and kingdom alignment. Those five things kind of undergird all that I've been discipled in and currently are, being, are becoming the bedrock in which I am standing on to continually seek revelation. Because starting with intimacy of God, as I had mentioned before, Matthew 14, 23, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. Jesus spends time with God. 
Over and over again, we see in Scripture, there's just time in which we're supposed to be alone with God. And, and that comes just out of intimacy. And I promise you, if you're lacking vision for your life, you may be also lacking intimacy. And I'll probably tell you, and I will tell you, there's often a causality, right? Your lack of intimacy is probably creating some confusion because the one who wants to cast a vision is, is the one that you're lacking. And you're trying to cast a vision on your own based upon maybe, maybe a momentum or a trajectory of what you thought was good, but you're just a little bit off. Right, we see this, uh, um, King Saul, right? King Saul, like he, he starts off well, following the Lord, and he has this trajectory like, oh, I could just keep getting victory, but then he goes and doesn't obey the Lord, and he doesn't kill the animals, and he loses his kingship, right? He had a trajectory that departed from Revelation. Um, and so really, with intimacy of God, be intentional, be alone, and be consumed, be intentional, be alone, and be consumed. I, I watch my wife do this every morning. She, she gets up, she's intentional, she sets an alarm, 5.30. She's alone. She either goes out on the porch if it's warm enough or she's just in the quiet place. And she's just consumed. She's just either, I don't, sometimes she maybe takes a spiritual nap, I don't know. But, but she's just consumed by the word. She's journaling, she's praying, she's doing whatever. She's just in that moment. The baby's asleep. I'm not there to nag her, right? It's just... Be intentional, alone, and consume intimacy with God. Now, a relevant gospel. Um, this is not talking about watering down the gospel. Sometimes we try to make the gospel so relevant to anyone and everyone that we sacrifice the hard bits of truth in Scripture. That's not what a relevant gospel is. A relevant gospel is what Paul talks about where he says, I became all things to all men. To the Jews, I became like the Jews. To those not of the law, so those like Gentiles, I became like the Gentiles. And then he says, I became the weak, to win the week. Right? There, there is a malleability to his posture of his heart to reach people, to make the gospel and the truth of God relevant to them. Because honestly, if we can look at the church holistically, there are a lot of salvation issues that we make there that are really non-salvation issues. Right? Maybe some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's up there preaching in his bare feet in a t-shirt and his shirt's not even tucked in. I'm sorry, I'm still gonna be in heaven with you. It's a non-salvation issue. Right? And it took me a long time to learn that because, like, this is not my pulpit. Right? It's Pastor Joe. Like, I always viewed it as Pastor Joe. I've been raised spiritually with Pastor Joe since eighth grade. So this place up here, it was, like, a really scary place for a long time. And I was always afraid that I was going to say something wrong and my salvation would be gone. And I realized, you know what? You don't need to tuck in your shirt. You don't need to use that podium. Just, like, figure it out. You'll be in heaven, too, if you obey me. So relevant gospel. Keep the truth the truth. But don't be, don't be afraid. Don't, don't, don't allow your, your conceptions of things to get in the way. I encountered this just the other day. I, was, I work at the Morning Owl coffee shop. It was a really slow day. And I watched this guy walking by, and he was like in all green, and he had one of these like army bags. And I was like, dude, that's a military dude, and he's walking, and it's about to rain. Like, why is he doesn't have a ride? I'm going to give him a free cup of coffee because he serves our country. Right? I was like, I want to honor someone who's doing something amazing for us. And I ran out of the morning owl, chased this guy down, and about halfway there, I realized that he wasn't a military dude. He was a homeless dude. It was just like in green camo and stuff like this. And I had a heart check. I was like, am I still going to give him a free coffee? Right? Because my original idea was I'm going to honor this guy. That now I was in this battle 
of like, am I still going to be relevant to this moment? And as I'm like getting to this guy, I was like, God, what does he need? And God just clearly told me, he goes, he, goes, he needs a coffee and a ride. And I was like, okay, my shift's almost done. So I gave him a coffee and, and then drove him an hour north. And, and he was telling me to be out and it started off just like a normal conversation. It was pretty quiet. I don't like telling people right out of the gate that my pastor because all of a sudden they change how they talk to you. It's obnoxious. It really is. So I like held on to it for like, I was really good. I held on to like a good 45 minutes before I dropped the P word pastor. And the last 15 minutes of our conversation, he was like, man, I've really been struggling with my faith. He was like, I know there's a God. He goes, but man, I don't know if I trust him. So the last 15 minutes of our conversation was just very relevant where he was. I was like, dude, I'm not going to push anything on you, but I want to let you understand something. I came to you, and I, this is my real story. I said, hey, God told me that you needed a coffee and a ride. So if you don't trust and have faith in him, he's still going to come to you and talk to you. Bought him some subway and sent him on his way. He goes, he goes you're not like most pastors. Come on a Sunday morning. Thank you. See me with my shoes off. The point being, now I'm not, I'm not telling you to go pick up hitchhikers, right? That's not the moral of this story. But in that moment, I had a vision and idea that was my own, and then I was confronted with reality, and then I had a heart check with God and say, okay, <laughs> how, how do I be Jesus in this moment? And, and God gave me the answer, because I didn't know what I was going to do. I was going to turn back. My flesh was going to be like, mm, I don't have time to give him a ride. That was my flesh, right? But God had a different idea. The radical middle. Now, the radical middle is a, di- is a dynamic and shared intimacy with father, son, and spirit. And, and so this is really what it's like to be in the middle of spirit-led and, and, and word-driven. Because a lot of times in church cultures, these two are opposed. We're either a, a word-only or we're spirit-only. And we gotta be both. And I, and I think we even shared from this pulp, I think uh, Pastor Narciso, Adam Narciso shared this. He said it was kind of like an image of, of a guy holding two raging stallions pulling in other directions. That dynamic tension of totally relying on the word and totally relying on the spirit. It's an intimacy of father, son, and spirit. It's a dynamic tension that's there. I, when you walk between these two, your revelation from God, I promise you, is gonna be awesome. It's just so good when you can balance these. The ways of God. It's funny because Moses sees the ways of God and then he asks for something and I'm going to get to this. The ways of God is another thing that is helping me with fresh revelation. It says works are a matter of what God does. His ways are a matter of who he is. Right? What God does are his works and who he is are his ways. And we are called to know his ways who he is, because we can see the works of God. Right of Romans talks about this. He's saying, hey, you are without excuse. Just look at nature. <laughs> look at how complex and wonderful it is. So you can see the work in the hand of God, but his ways are something entirely different. In Exodus, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, leave these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send me, who send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember, this is a nation. This nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you 
and I will give you rest. Moses had seen the works of God in miraculous ways when his people were being set free. But what does he ask next? He said, teach me your ways. Moses says, I've seen your works, but if I want continued favor, I know I need to know your ways. If you want continued favor with God, I would challenge you, stop seeking his works, his works only, and start seeking his ways. Some people try to go from prophetic gathering to prophetic gathering to see healings, to have a word spoken over them. Those are all good. But those are his works. God is calling us to know his ways. If you know his ways, you're going to see, you're going to have vision better. There's nothing wrong with his works. Nothing wrong with wanting someone to speak to us. But when we seek after that only, right, this is what Jesus even chastised the people who can say, hey, look, everyone's like, hey, can you feed us some more? And Jesus is like, hey, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you're not mine. He challenges all of a sudden. He goes, look, that's tough. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. That is clearly in the ways of God category. Duplicating fish and bread works. Eat flesh and blood, ways. I don't even understand that. He calls us to understand ways. And he challenges those who just seek works. Works are fine, but we need to know his ways. Moses found favor because after he had seen his works, he asked for his ways of God. And then kingdom alignment. We are free agents. I'm not going to get into the conversation of whether we're predestined or free will. Just not going there. We are free agents to choose God or not God and learning what is of God and align ourselves to it is what this is about. Kingdom alignment. In your personal walk, your marriage, your business, whatever you're doing, kingdom alignment. This involves intercession and revelation but also fleshing out the ways of God in your daily life. How do you align yourself to the ways of God? How do you align this kingdom alignment? You say the ways and then you get some obedience and now you've got kingdom alignment. As, as Dave Burian would say, it's revelation obedience, transformation. Every time you get a revelation, you can choose yes or no. But if you choose yes, there's going to be a point of, of obedience that you have. It will lead to the transformation of the likeness of Christ. This is part of vision and will. This is, again, back to that aspect that prophecy, that, that word of building on the rock or the sand is really talking about what is that full picture of the truth of God, having that revelation and building on it. So those five things and kind of those little blurbs about them, the intimacy with God, relevant gospel, radical middle, the ways of God, and kingdom alignment have been kind of the lens in which I am learning to seek God through for vision. Because I've understand seeking God all the time, but I've been a little burnt out. Like, God, I keep seeking you, but I must be doing something wrong. And I think maybe some of you know what I mean in that. Those five things have become the bedrock, kind of my personal revelation of like, wow, when I stand in one of these five or all of these five, seeking that revelation, vision is being given at levels I, that I never knew before. And my heart is being transformed and yielded to that. So that, that's, that's the message today. Kind of sobering, kind of basic, but like run with it. This is the culture of our church. We really want these five sort of irreducibles to permeate our culture and our lives. And if you're suffering, or I shouldn't say suffering, if you're challenged with seeking fresh vision, we're going to have uh, our prayer teams 
what, what I'm thinking as we close, and maybe you can play a little bit. Um, if this is a point of challenge for you and you want fresh revelation and a filling of the Lord's uh, just anointing and spirit to you, um, our prayer teams are going to be available for that. I don't want to give too much direction because I want you to be spirit-led, but don't, please don't go out to our prayer team and be like, can you tell me the next five years of my life, please? <laughs> because what, what, cause what we need to do, like the job of the church is to teach you how to do this yourself. Amen. Come on. Right? We have a lot of people, and, and Scripture talks about this, like that go from preacher to preacher and then don't respond in obedience. And it's like we need to raise up solid men and women of God who know how to seek him on their own. And I'm, I'm in process. I am in process. And I'm learning, I, I can't tell you enough how much I am learning just in this one month of marriage. It's like, holy cow, I thought I was holy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's desperation that's causing me to seek vision. <laughs> but what's so cool is God will give it when you ask. He'll give it when you ask. Sometimes it comes to you personally. Sometimes it comes from a friend or through a wife or whatever. So we're going to make our prayer teams available that if you're just desperate for fresh revelation, they're going to pray, probably anoint you, and hopefully... You either get something in that moment or you go home and you have a really cool dream, you know? And if we could just, if we just learn to treat God that way, like, I'm going to get a dream. It's going to be awesome, yeah. you know? It can happen. Let's not make God small. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revelation. God, we thank you that you're that father that says, like, if, if, any, if any son comes to a father and asks for something good, ask for bread. They're not going to get a stone or a scorpion or whatever. And if, if human flawed fathers know how to give good things, how much more would the Heavenly Father desire to give us good things? Father, it's easy to get lost in the things we have to do and our responsibilities and God, vision gets so lost sometimes. And if we're real, we would say, God, you get lost in our busyness. And we suffer the most. And Father, it's so insidious that it happens slowly that, that we start to lose you in small measures. And then when we go to look for you, we don't know where you are. God, you're bringing to mind, I just want to share this. I, Caroline was sitting on the couch one day and, and our son went out and was playing with her. And then she got up and like went to the restroom and during that time, Alice and I were doing something different and like changing his diaper. And when he came back, he went looking for his mom where she was. And he just began to cry. Mama, 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 where are you? He had no idea. And just in that amount of time, just, just the changing of a diaper, one other activity, he had lost where mom was. God, sometimes we know where you are, but you're a God who is always on the move. And God, sometimes we get so fearful when, when we miss a moment of what you're doing and we return to where you were and we're confused. 
God, I pray that for those who are confused today, who, who are, have gone back to a place where you were and have found you missing and are in desperation, I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself. You'd say, hey, here I am. I've moved. Come. Come to me. Wipe away those tears. My wife picked him up and he was soothed. God wants to pick you up. If you're at that last spot that God was and he's not there, just tune your ears in because he's calling. And he wants to give you that vision and revelation because vision and revelation is a matter of just saying, look, here. It's like opening up the curtains to, to a play, here. When my wife cried out from the bathroom and just said, hey, Ellis, I'm over here. Revelation came to him. The position of what he was looking for was revealed and he can change direction and move. And so God, I pray that today, those who are looking for that revelation of where you are, you would just be calling them and that obedience would be at their heart to respond. Bring revelation and vision in Jesus' name. Amen.